0: the most interesting things in the world try and imagine what it will be like to go to sleep and never wake up i am the sun
1: it's been a while since i've been on the mic i spit what i like and looking for a different life i landed and managed to be gifted to write but my best friends left so i stick to the right
0: i tried to tell them Welcome back to another episode of the DMT World Podcast. I'm your host, Alex8721, and today I got the opportunity to interview an inspiring individual named Jake. Jake shares with us his story on how he got off of hard drugs after an intense LSD experience and everything that followed afterwards to include his love for the craft of cultivating the fungus. Jake's well known for his passion for the species of mushrooms, Penelia cynesens, and also shares his endeavor to find a tincture for people who are trying to kick opioids using mainly kratom, other plants, and legal substances. Jake can be found on DMT World under the name of Too Weird to Live, Too Rare to Die, and on the Shroomery as Jake on Sid. I wanted to take some time and express my sincere gratitude for those of you who listen, support the podcast, support the site, and each other in the community as a whole. It's been a real pleasure to speak with everybody who's been on here, as well as everybody who's yet to come. In the next year, I have a few guests planned. Other ideas that will take us to a higher level in terms of diversity, knowledge, and overall interesting conversations to to be had thank you very much for listening it is greatly appreciated and on behalf of the admins and staff of DMT world thank you for being here and thank you for all of the support may the next year be fruitful for all vision
1: until they can't make a decent decision these plants speak in wisdom stop take a breathing but listen you might find what you seek your vision what I'm really trying to say is if you take some time to break the line you're walking with caution there is a greater find living life and I'm taking my time and staying in divine is a state of the mind
0: man mr J. Jake on to Sid. To Thank you That's for good. spending some time with us here and coming on and and speaking with us. Um, uh, I've been a big fan of your work and I know a lot of other people on the site across other communities have been as well. So I'm sure people are going to be pretty excited about this.
1: Awesome. Hey, man. Hi, uh, I'm excited to talk with you.
0: <laughs> now, um, <clears throat> I me personally, uh, when I first started in this... Um, in this journey of mine and I was just reading shit online and Shroomery was one of the places 2016. I started getting more getting in there in Texas. I started seeing a lot of, um, you know, people, members of that community, you know, and I, I remember running across you and, and, um, another one of our members too. And man, there's, there's a lot of great, great people on there. There's a lot of good information on there. It's, it's a, it's a gold mine. And, I remember seeing you on there and then uh, shortly after or a few years after whatever you were on the DMT world. And, um, I and mean, it was, it was pretty cool, man. And, um, I, I, how did you end up in this whole culture, this whole thing with uh, mycology or, uh, mushrooms or whatever you want to call it there in this craft, so to speak?
1: Well, so, uh... I guess it goes back all the way when I was in uh, high school, I had a buddy and uh, he was into it and I didn't, you know, I didn't know hardly anything about it. And he would talk to me about certain things, like start talking to me about substrate and like, you know, my understanding was so basic, but I was like so excited about all of it. And, uh, you know, slowly over a couple of years, I learned, you know, he should actually showed me outdoor patches first. And then, um, uh, uh, after I worked on a couple of those with them, I eventually started working with Cubensis and then, uh, I got, you know, my life went a different direction and I got into, uh, you know, way worse things. <laughs> 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 and, uh, yeah, so that went on and I ended up you know, finding myself, you know, I was shopping doctors, I was heavily addicted to opiates, and I was pretty much doing anything I could to uh, stay above water. And one of the things I, you know, kind of knew how to do from, you know, what he had taught me was grow mushrooms. So in totally the wrong space, um, you know, place of mind for doing it, I kind of you know, started up this cube grow and i mean i didn't really learn any of the proper technique i got like a working process with grain to grain transfer and uh, i made these like straw logs that um would like suspend front like horizontally across in this closet and i would just do this grain to grain transfer over and um I mean, that that was when I first like really took my first whack at it, but it wasn't, I mean, I was, I was pretty messed up at the time and, uh, everything ended up falling apart. Um, and I ended up getting way worse. And I went to this music festival a few years later. And uh, I mean, at the time I was, you know, IV using opiates every day. Um, you know, just pretty much you know, completely out of control. And I went to this festival and I ended up taking 110 hits of acid. And it was the the third day of the festival that I did it. So the first two days I had tripped, like the first day I took like six hits and the second day I took like 15 hits. So I had a little bit of a tolerance. It wasn't like I just went at 110 hits, but uh, yeah, throughout the day I was just drinking this vial. And then at the end of the day, I, uh, you know, we were about to go into the actual show where the actual venue was. And I was like, well, hold on. So I mixed together like the rest of the liquid, uh, that I had and I mixed it with a whole cocktail of other stuff, thirties, Molly, everything. And I mainlined it and we walked towards the stage and I don't even remember getting there. I know that I got in an argument with my friend and like, he kind of disappeared. And like, after that, like I was no longer even at that festival. I had a total, you know, immersive trip. Like I met God and basically, yeah. Like it was the first time though. I was able to actually step back and look at my life and be like, holy shit, man, this is fucked. Like I wasn't, you know, for a second, I wasn't so caught up in my own numbness and my own, you know, like like when you're in the middle of all, you can think about is like what you're going to do to make, you know, that feeling keep happening for you. And, uh, I mean, it really scared the shit out of me. And pretty much from that point, that was, you know, the beginning of my recovery. I mean, it took years. It's not like, you know, I did that bang the next day. My shit was back together. Yeah. I still had prison to go to to go to and, you know, I still had to go through the whole thing. But if it wasn't for that, I mean, I feel like I would still just be recirculating the same, you know, the same process, you know get clean while you absolutely are forced to and then go right back to it again because it's the only thing you know that makes you feel good
0: yeah that's the thing about uh opiates is it's so fucking easy to slide back into that warm embrace you know so you're, yeah. so, you're so fucking used to it yeah i mean
1: not having like i feel like i feel like when when you finally are able to like see your whole life out in front of you and actually understand, you know, not just, you know, what you do isn't just affecting you and the things that are just affecting, I mean, that's not just affecting other people directly. I mean, there's so much more to what, you know, you put thought into every time you make a decision and, um, yeah. So I'm kind of getting
0: off track here, but no, that's okay, man. That's what, that's what we're here for. Just get, get off track and get back on track. <laughs> no, but I, I feel you, man. Um, I, you know, I, I, I had children around my, you know, my darkest uh, days, you know, and that was a big thing for me is, is watching them knowing that they see me in this state, you know, and it was, uh, yeah, it was, it was a realization, you know? Yeah, yeah, that, that happened at the same time, too. My first son, you know, my first
1: child was on the way. And yeah, I mean, all of it kind of lined up that the, the acid trip actually happened a little bit before that, or actually a couple of years, but or no, yeah, I guess it would have been like eight months before that, but. I mean, yeah, it, when that happened, it almost kind of like that was the other thing. Like, I, so I went to another festival like two years later. Like, and, you know, have you ever had like an experience so profound and then like you almost have to convince yourself that it, like, it actually happened? Like, I mean, afterwards, when that, when that first experience happened, I mean, the God I met, I mean, he prophesied things that. You know, absolutely came true. Like, for example, he told me that I would walk home to my mother naked. I would be forever marked by our encounter, and uh, I would meet uh three guardians and a demon on my way uh, on my way home and literally all those things happened like by the time i got home i was so dope sick i threw up and shit my pants in the front yard and like took all my clothes off like before i went in the house and walked in the door and like there was my mom and like it all hit me like holy shit like that just fucking happened
0: yeah it's weird when you have experiences like that that shift your reality like it changes even like down the road you know like like this like what you're talking about that's almost sometimes for me feels like i almost feel like i'm fucking losing my mind sometimes you know yeah (laughs) for lack of a better a better description and then
1: you start to wonder if it's all just in your head and it's just your mind you know like making up for the thing but i mean there's and and going looking back on it still like i'll like remember bits and pieces because i'll start to like convince myself like well maybe it was just rationalizing and then like i'll remember another bit of it i mean that's a lot of coincidences there but yeah i mean that uh that really was what like showed me how i was how i was going to bridge that gap like because I still had, like, it. Went, like, once I got clean, it wasn't just, like, over for me. I still had a whole wake of people behind me that I fucked up, Shit. my little brother included. And no one else was, you know, getting it. Like, everyone else was just dying. Fuck. And uh, so it was important to me to try and find, you know, a more effective way than... You know what was happening to try and help and undo some of all the you know the damage I had helped cause, and I mean, not even can you know blame myself for all of it, but I mean, you know, like it was definitely something that I you know, promoted for a long time, and at least everyone around me, I you know, I constantly wonder if it would be that way if
0: I hadn't. Yeah, like you're you're trying to make amends with yourself, right? Yeah, almost or. <laughs> Or
1: at least at least undo and you know fix the damage I did. I don't I don't know I don't know if I can actually make amends for it. But you know, at the <laughs> same time, the journey you know the journey makes a lot of
0: people who they are.
1: So yeah. you know that comes into the <laughs> a whole other uh, conversation. We'll get into right now. No,
0: definitely. <laughs> I mean, I I totally understand. You know, I've I've taken people's lives and. The, even now today, you know, I understand shit had to be done and it was them or me and all, you know, all that stuff that people say, you know, but for me, I still carry this thing inside of me that just reminds me of that person that I once was. And it, it kind of feels with me, you know, to continue to do, you know, what I do. Right. You know, I definitely understand that. Yeah. So, 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 so you, <clears throat> so you were on uh, opiates and you did some time as well and went through rehabilitation and all that yeah so actually
1: so going on that acid trip i was told that if i stopped doing what i was doing now i wouldn't have to pay for it but if i didn't then i would and sure enough when i got home you know i was sick and i had to make something happen so i served an undercover uh oh, a whole rack of 30s fuck <laughs> god damn it was it was literally the first i mean like i said like i mean there was just too many coincidences it was literally the first thing i did after i got back
0: Fuck. that's fucking shitty man it was right away huh yeah
1: and i mean that was and i did well it didn't have like i did it right away but it's not like you know shit all fell apart right then like you know when you do that they don't run in on you right away Mm. at least not always they didn't to me I mean, it was two months later before they actually came and got me.
0: Jeez.
1: But yeah, I mean, and that's, that was kind of like when it hit home, like when I finally got, like, I looked back and I saw like, you know, exactly what had happened. I was like, holy shit. Like exactly what he said would happen, happened. Like I I didn't stop what I was doing and I got smacked with the very next one.
0: Oh man! So what what type of things uh, did uh, did you do once you started to come back and, and help? You know the healing or whatever the damage that you've caused in your path up until that point.
1: So yeah, so I um I still had my own OMT. So you know when I I went through the rehab and stuff, and when when they do that, they always OMT you either methadone or Suboxone and um so that's not really a full fix you know like it's just they're just switching it over to something that they have regulated and the system set up on
0: (laughs) so an omt is kind of like a replacement for the opiate yeah omt stands
1: for opiate management treatment i see i see so your methadone clinics, your Suboxone doctors, yeah. um, all those are considered forms of OMT. So uh, I got to, and, I, and I've been on methadone throughout it a couple of times. And methadone, <laughs> that stuff is rough, man. I never had a cavity in my life. I was on that stuff for three months and I had like five of them. <laughs> oh, five <laughs> a what? I never had a cavity a day in my life, oh. like up until I went on to methadone. They put me on it, and within three months, I had like five cavities.
0: What? What is that about? I mean, They say
1: that methadone is just as or is actually less damaging than, you know, street heroin, which in its pure form. I don't know if that's true. Now, who knows what's in the stuff people are actually getting? I mean, you know, as opposed to the junk you're putting in, it probably is better for you, but not much. I mean, that stuff tears you apart, weakens your bones, ruins your teeth and the worst part is you're just as addicted you take that away or even a suboxone you take that away from someone and you're, you're completely disabled i mean you're sick as hell for really a longer period of time than you would be coming off of you know other opiates
0: do you feel any kind of um i guess altered state when you take the uh, methadone or is it you're just back to normal
1: um, well, it depends on what your state is going in. If you're addicted going in, it's going to just barely make you feel normal again. Or if you take enough, like you might be able to catch a little bit of energy, but it's, it definitely doesn't come with that same dopamine dump that you get when you, you know, when you do other opiates, same with the Suboxone. Suboxone is even weirder because Suboxone, if you don't do any opiates or you don't have a tolerance, it will get you high as gas for like a week and then after that like it just flatlines and it doesn't matter how much you take you can take fucking 14 milligrams or a half a milligram like it's gonna flatline and be the exact same thing
0: Shit, you know, i spoke to this uh to this lady uh, a few a few episodes ago her name was kate mccabe and she was on um suboxone i think or yep. one of the two and uh she was just like, no, that shit was just terrible. <laughs> yeah. yeah. But, so what she did is she ended up doing uh, going to an Ibogaine clinic and doing five MEO DMT and that should help her out big time. But do, are, are you still using the, are you still on OMT? And if not, what was your process to kind of um, wean yourself off or to, you know, help yourself out of that situation?
1: so yeah so i um I, I i came off of all of it and then they told me that my system was so trashed from all the opiate use that i was gonna have to be on an omt and uh, i didn't fully believe it but at the same time i was just like you know kind of experimenting with kratom and using kratom and i you know i kind of wanted to test its ability to, you know to help people come off of you know these different uh, you know, or opioids in general, but I wasn't about to go out and start doing heroin again. Yeah. So I wanted to test it coming off of uh, Suboxone. So I was like, all right. So I got the prescription and um, I put myself back on it, and it helped me for like four days. For four days, I felt better, and then it just. You know, caught up with me, and, and then the only difference was I felt worse without it. But all the same issues I had before I started taking it. The reason they said I was feeling, I was feeling bad. I was permanently messed up from opioid addiction. It didn't make that go away for long. Um, so I wanted to come back off of it, and uh, so that's when I started experimenting with kratom extracts. And well, first, I tried the kratom powder, and it mm-hmm. was just too much plant matter for my stomach. Yeah. I mean, my stomach sucks but i feel like that's a common problem especially among addicts is you know your stomach gets tore up and to put that much plant matter in your in you every day is hard especially if you have like you know a high if you have a high habit and you're trying to come off of like active use there's no way you're going to be able to get enough of that in you to you know function normally
0: yeah especially in that in that In that form. Yeah. Right. In that form.
1: I mean, there, there are limits even with the extracts. Um, you know, when you, when you overdo it with Kratom, it's, you, you, it won't shut down your respiratory system. So it's much safer in that sense where, you know, other opiates, you know, you overdo it and that's it. Or, you know, you need Narcan or someone there with you. Um, instead this kind of makes you feel carsick, your vision blurs and, you know, eventually you throw up and you purge your system. Um, so there is, I mean, there is a little bit of work that you have to do before you can drop, like you can't just come off of a super high dose, like let's say 150 milligrams of methadone and expect to completely supplement that with Kratom. It's just not going to happen. Sure. You're going to have to taper down
0: first. Why not you say that even with any hard opiate, I mean, that's kind of the case as well.
1: Yeah, I mean, depending on your dose, if, yeah. you're, if you're mainline in a G a day, yet you're going to have a hard time, <laughs> you know, supplementing yeah. that with Kratom. You're going to have to work on weaning yourself down first, Um, or, you know, in that case, I would recommend switching to an OMT first, then weaning down, and then trying to pull off with Kratom. I mean, you don't want to be mainline street drugs no matter what, because anything can happen at any time, and that's it. <laughs>
0: You know, Kratom, Kratom is, uh, uh, for me personally, I believe it's underrated, man. I, and I think, um, I mean, this came in the clutch for me a few times, you know, a lot of times when, when people are on opiates, um, not only is it the, the high, you know, that buzz, that feeling, but it's also just not wanting to be sick. <laughs> so, I mean, I I've been there too, um, and kratom and cannabis combined has been fucking life saving for me. The one thing I find with care, and 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 I do in the powder form, I encapsulate them. <clears throat> but you know, I, I'm obviously not you know starting at a high dose, you know, usage place or whatever. Uh, so you know. <clears throat> 15, 10 to 15 grams of the kratom is fine. And, you know, for a few days and then I weed myself off of it. I find myself also kind of enjoying the kratom at times. So I kind of have to just use it as a crutch only because, um, you're right. It does fuck your body up taking in that much plant matter. I've never fucked with the extracts. Um, but uh, for me personally, I think I would I would wait unless I needed to get it again. <laughs> Cause it, it can yeah. get for me like it feels good sometimes, you know, and it feels like well fuck, I, I wanna get used to it, you know.
1: Yeah, I mean, there's a middle ground there. I I feel like some people want to put Kratom out there as this like cure all healthy supplement that, you know, you can take as much as you want all day long and it's going to do nothing but benefit you. And that's just not true. It, it, you know, it serves a a purpose. And if you use it properly for that purpose, it can be very effective. But it's not, you know, it's not going to smack you like heroin if you want to go out there and get tore up now if you don't have a tolerance and you go take some you will get an energetic feel and i mean it will feel good and i mean that form in itself can be addicting and if that's yeah. what you go out and take it for and you keep doing that every day then you absolutely will get addicted to it and it has its own withdrawal of itself it's not i wouldn't put it anywhere near as bad as um you know coming off of other opiates but mm-hmm. it's still not pulling at all <laughs>
0: Yeah, no, I've, I've, every time I, I've ever had to use Kratom, um, uh, more, more recently, um, you know, I went in there knowing that, but I, and I used it as, as a tool only. Um, but even then, you know, I find myself <laughs> like two, three days in and I'm like, shit, I think i will take another dose, <laughs> but that's just my personality. You know, um, yeah. I'm sure other people are different too.
1: And part of that is, I mean, there's a fine line of where we draw medical to, you know, recreational. I mean, like take pot, for example, when you smoke marijuana to calm down, I mean, really, how is that difference from saying I smoke marijuana to get high? I mean, it's about the same thing. So where we draw that line of where it's medical and where it's recreational, you know, I don't think that there's like a clear spot on that, but you kind of know it when you see it
0: yeah I think it, I think ultimately it's uh, preferential right I mean you'll know yeah. you'll know you know your your thoughts your wants your desires uh, it's ultimately going to be tailored to the individual experience right? Yeah, well, I mean, when you start to have to, you know, start
1: having to rationalize, you know, problems that are arising because of it, that's, you know, then maybe you should (laughs) look at what you're doing. That's a dark corner. Yeah, yeah, but some people, you know, they have constant pain in their back. And, you know, a doctor might prescribe them to take pain medicine Mm -hmm. every day or you take Kratom every day. So I,
0: I would say Kratom. Me too. Yeah, I a hundred percent agree. I think, uh, what was it like in the last what five years that they, uh, was it the FDA or the, not the FDA, who the fuck? The, um, DEA was trying to legalize or schedule Kratom, right? Yeah. Yep. But a lot of people fought back on it and there was a few States that still stuck with it, but for the most part, all the other States just kind of took us, took a step back and, and let it keep going.
1: It was actually veterans that really, that really pulled together on that one. Uh, there were so many veterans that like, you know, we're talking about how it helped them come off of opiates or deal with their pain and stuff. And, you know, their word goes a long way, especially when arguing with the government. So that, oh, was, yeah. Dude,
0: that's, that was pretty cool. That's kind of, that's kind of where my angle that's kind of my angle. You know, I, I was prescribed opiates by the VA. And to be honest, when I when I first started taking them, you know, I did notice there was a little buzz, but I never even thought about being dope sick. And I grew up around, <clears throat> you know, heroin addicts and what we call them, tecates. You know, people are always shooting up my whole life, even as a child. And here I am taking... <laughs> Taking fucking Percocet, like, uh, for years, bro, for like four years straight. And then once I ditched the all the other psych meds as well and the Percocet, I got fucking dope sick. And I remember yeah. feeling like shit for like, fuck, maybe three days and then finally I kept asking myself I was like what the fuck did I do and I talked to somebody and they were like well what was the last thing you did I said I just stopped taking my medicine and they were like well what and I'm like these medicines don't do that and then I brought the Percocet man and right away I was like oh shit man I'm fucking dope sick dude like what the fuck is happening here and and I ended up going back on them just because I didn't I didn't know what else to do you know and it wasn't until <clears throat> I came across Kratom that I was like oh shit this is it you know and um, I've stumbled a few times since then, you know. But every single time, crab has been there to help me out. And it, uh, man, I, I can't praise that that plan enough.
1: And that's yeah, that's awesome. They they, I mean, the whole story is not awesome, but is awesome. But yeah, I mean, there was a lot of really irresponsible opiate prescribing going on. And uh, yeah, I mean, so many people just didn't know what they were being prescribed. You know, like sitting there complaining about the heroin dealers they're hearing about on TV <laughs> while <laughs> eating their oxycontin, you know, having no
0: idea. Hey, dude, listen, my 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 father-in-law, he's a he's a retired um, police sergeant, right? And he's one of those old school type type of dudes that thinks uh, cannabis is worse than tobacco, blah blah blah, all that shit, right? And when I met my wife. <laughs> About ten years ago, her dad had just gotten discharged or whatever from the he was like forced to retire from the p- police department and he was in an accident, right? So sure. he's they start prescribing him Percocet, and I didn't know nothing, right? I go to his house one day on Easter. I shit you not, this dude is sitting there fucking slobbering in his pants. And I'm, t- I told my wife, wa- I'm telling my wife, I'm like, well, what's up with your dad? She's like, oh, he's taking this medicine. I'm like, your dad's a fucking junkie, dude. Like he's <laughs> fucked up. And even he, like, he's somebody like him, you know? I mean, he he's a hundred percent, you know, straight lace type of motherfucker, but. Here he is, fucking fucked up off his fucking Percocets. Like God, that shit is fucking crazy, man. It's it's a slippery Once it goes slope. That
1: bottle and it has that official label on it and all that. People people look at it differently.
0: Yeah, it's weird, man. It's almost like they play a trick. They 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 played a trick on everybody, you know. <laughs>
1: yeah that's
0: why
1: i'm i'm so like when when you talk about like facebook banning the discussion of freedom and like like if you like do a web search out about it there's multiple articles that are trying to highlight the negatives and bringing up like potential negatives that don't even exist that maybe could exist and like And I feel like that's because their biggest fear is if the cure to this epidemic they've spent the last two decades creating can be grown in people's backyard. <laughs> And I mean, that's the same reason that they're, you know, with the marijuana, there's so many regulations on the legalization of that. And now with, you know, the psilocybin therapy in Oregon, they're trying, you know, they don't want people to start being able to fix most of their medical needs with two plants and a fungus.
0: Yeah, but don't you kind of feel like... Well, first of all, like for me, I look at that and I'm like, well, at least there's some kind of pushback in 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 general, like the society or these small organizations or large groups of communities that are pushing back, that are voting yes for these propositions and, uh, you know, supporting their local decriminalization movement and so forth. Like that part to me, that aspect of it, I'm like, uh, that gives me a little bit of hope. And then oh. second, <clears throat> And then like the second part of it, too, is once you legalize a man, it's it's kinda hard to to let put that cap back in the bag, so to speak, you know?
1: Exactly. And I mean I, I agree. I mean the only the only reason I said that was because it's just unfortunate that we're in this situation to begin with. But yeah, I do think that All these movements forward are gonna ultimately be for the best, because, like you said, once the stigma's gone, you know they can no longer convince the majority of the public that it's a boogeyman. And I think you know they're gonna find that out with marijuana here soon, when you know a lot of these older people get sick of having to spend. 40% Forty percent of their paycheck on their <laughs> marijuana medicine and just start kind of growing their
0: own. Yeah, you know, I <clears throat> for me, when it comes to the legalization of cannabis or any of these other plants or fungus, I think the the biggest power move that we can do in our communities is to teach others how to cultivate these plants and fungus. I think that knowledge goes a long way because then you're not relying on big corporations you're not relying on because ultimately when the legalization aspect a lot of people always bring up the commercialization of it right big corporations coming in buying swaths of land and fucking growing thousands upon thousands of plants like that's the the end goal when it comes you know when it comes to the negative aspect of it but I think that's, they're just supplying a demand and the more that you put the power into into regular people's, you know, minds and giving them that knowledge, you know, that kind of takes that, take that, takes that away from those corporations
1: absolutely and so much of what you get from it is something they can't sell you and that is actually cultivating it you know the actual act of cultivating it i mean so much of you know what i get from mushrooms actually comes from you know growing them and cultivating them i mean it teaches you patience and you and you, you develop like this bond with it almost that you, you start to you know learn their likes their dislikes and i, I mean for me that. And it gives me purpose also. I mean, for that, for me, that is such a, such a big part of it. And that's something that no matter how much land they buy up, you know, they can't really resell that. I mean, they can sell the materials and stuff, but yeah, I absolutely agree. And I think, I mean, I think the same with, you know, marijuana and even Kratom also, I mean, when when you're invested in making your own medicine, making your own food, it you know it gives you back a sense of purpose, and I feel like that's something we've really lost in this day and age, where all there is to do is go to work and then spend that money in stores.
0: I 100% agree, man. I, I also think that the that we 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 lose the connection to nature that is the most important, which is that part that works with you symbiotically you know you have like cultivating fungus for me is a symbiotic relationship you know i have this organism that's producing these fruits for me and i'm taking care of it for a certain amount of time and then me personally when i was cultivating i would bury all of my mycelium you know what i mean just to kind of give it a new home (laughs) and dude like in like a year my entire backyard was colonized (laughs) no joke man but uh, it's a it's a it's a great thing that that you know we're seeing these um, propositions and laws get passed uh, mainly because of the local populace. It's very hopeful and and inspiring. Yeah, uh,
1: I'm I'm excited to see things move forward, especially now with what happened in D.C. I mean, once D.C. changes, it seems like everything else follows pretty quickly. So.
0: That was like a big fuck you to to, to government, huh? <laughs>
1: yeah, I mean, <laughs> I feel like a lot of people weren't expecting that, and I think that the decriminalization of all drugs in Oregon—I mean, I think that is really gonna—you know—for so long there's been that argument that you know, oh, just because it worked in Portugal doesn't mean it'll work over here because we're a different country. I, it's a ridiculous argument, and finally now it'll be able to be disproven.
0: Well, it'll it'll be a good learning process for the rest of the of the nation here in the U.S. at the very least, at the very least. Yeah, I mean, that's the thing, even
1: if it's only one. So in Portugal, their fatal overdoses decreased by ninety nine point nine percent. So even if it's only like one percent as effective over here as it is over there, it's still more effective than anything else that's ever been tried.
0: Yeah, I, I agree, man. I'm, I'm really excited to see what comes of it, and and what kind of um, policies or guidelines or even a platform that that they can share with the rest, you know, the rest of the states. So let me ask you something, man. <laughs> with the with the fungus, when did the fungus come back into your life and become so fucking like, dude? <laughs> I, I'm not kidding, man. You you you've got some pretty Pretty, pretty righteous stuff going on where you're at, man. It's, it's fucking beautiful, man. Every, every single bit of it. I enjoy it. I've always enjoyed it. And I know a lot of other people do, but when, when did you get back like into the, into it like you are now? So it
1: was it was two I want to say two years ago, and I just um, I found a couple of groups on Facebook. You know, it was something I had always been interested in, and like I said, I had done it. You know, before that one time, and there was a couple other times in my you know where I had done small things, and uh, I just joined the groups and I was you know reading what everyone was saying, and I was kind of just like chiming in from an outside perspective, and uh, you know it was driving me nuts. Like I couldn't stand, I couldn't stand not being a part of it. So. Um I just I, I started, you know, like everyone does. I got a SAB put together again and I got a couple syringes and I just kind of you know picked up where I left off. And this time instead of trying to put so much in practice, I spent a lot more time just learning and reading and you know trying to understand more, you know, why than how. And uh I got to a point where I found a bunch of things that I thought could be possible that just weren't happening. And, um, you know, when I asked why it wasn't happening, the answers were pretty much just, you know, Oh, well, it likely wouldn't work. So people aren't trying it. Hmm. And, um, I didn't like that uh, specifically in the breeding of, you know, different pan species. You know, I, I at first, I was, I was, uh, I came up with, um, the idea of trying to make that cross happen and pretty much everyone I talked to said that it was highly unlikely if at all possible and uh so that was like all right well there's my impossible goal and uh if I can make that happen then you know I'll be on the right track so I just kind of set out with that goal in mind and um first thing I had to do was master pans in general so I kind of went through and I did a little bit of reading of what of other people had attempted. I didn't want to follow another tech exactly, though, just because I knew there wasn't anything that I, you know, wanted. There was no tech out there that I was, like, super thrilled with. So I didn't want to, like, get stuck in someone else's tech. So I kind of just looked at some of the, the conditions that they seemed to like and I uh, went from there. And uh, I started with a tub design. And the whole idea being that if I cycle the humidity... I can cause more evaporation to take place on the surface, which will pull more pins up. And uh, so I, I rigged this tub together and I had pumps and uh, humidifier and a milk jug with hoses going in it where the air would prehydrate hydrate <laughs> and uh, super overcomplicated and <laughs> unnecessary. But it worked in function and um, it was just, you know, the big tubs were... Uh, a whole lot of substrate and also when it did work it was more more mushrooms than i could print you know it was a Five. whole tub of, of pan so i only did it a couple of times but i was really happy with the results so i kind of took that concept and switched it over to a tent style where i could have smaller trays with larger variety because you know my primary my primary interest is genetics most mm-hmm. of my fruits i end up you know you were saying you throw my silly in my my fruits get composted i just kind of mix them in the turn really yeah, I mean, I keep, you know, stuff for myself because I'm microdosed and I, I'm acrodosed yeah. occasionally too. But yeah, most of it I just compost and stir it in. I feel like that makes them happy and makes me happy. And Yeah.
0: You know, I was, um, I was watching this guy who was hunting um, azuracens uh, up in the Pacific Northwest. And he found a small patch in some place where he hadn't gone to. And what he did is he grabbed the fruits. They were a little, there were kind of, they were reaching for air. So they were kind of really jacked up and he smashed them on his shoes or his boots to walk out into the trails. And I was like, wow, what is he doing that for? <laughs> but I understand what he's doing, right? He's spreading that 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 culture you know right the spores everywhere he <laughs> walks yeah it's pretty cool now you said something about the breeding aspect of the pants which one was that because i know I i i believe you've you've already done a few of those right
1: yeah so i've done it, it's actually been the same cross but with different strains of pancyon i uh i crossed the tropical the pan tropicalis red spore and the reason i chose that one is because it has really easy identifier phenotypes you know the red spores yeah. and then it produces a you know a white mushroom and it's just kind of easy to spot that okay this cross definitely happened so i got a uh, i got another uh, culture in from our was a gill fragment in from Allen um from hasteca And uh, I grew that one out as was, and it produced these sporeless white mushrooms. And it was a good yield. It was a really good culture, fast moving, but it was completely sporeless. So I tried, I spent a while trying to isolate and find a, uh, you know, an ISO that would um, give me good spore drop. And um, and while I was doing that, I ended up taking the diacritic culture. And putting it alongside the tropicalis diocratic culture, and doing the venom hybridization.
0: Now, the the concept behind the venom hybridization—that's to weaken the cell walls within the mycelium to to allow for that clamp, right? Right, or it's
1: not—it doesn't actually clamp, but the the genetic material passes freely through the cells, oh, so the shit. clamp isn't needed.
0: Huh. Damn, dude, that's fucking sad. Hey, what? Why panso? Like, what? What got you into panso? Was just something that just jumped out at you? So I had grown uh, it
1: was pan uh, Cam- Cam cambo one time or two a couple times before, and then I had grown one of the tropicalis before, and it was always my that was always my favorite. I mean, the ride from them was always the most clean visual. It was you know kind of just like a complete immersive outer body experience. So I knew that um. You know those were my favorite i'd had wood lovers and i'd had cubensis and uh i kind of you know out of the three you know different species or you know (coughs) um i knew it was my favorite so i kind of knew that i was gonna head in that direction
0: you know what's crazy is uh i first tried penelia Cyaness since last year the end of last year and it blew my fucking socks off, man. I did two grams for my first time and <laughs> it was like a DMT experience, man. It was nothing like Cubensis that I've tried before. The, with the Cubensis, I had a lot of, a lot of body load, you know, I had, right. um, Stomach, you know, nausea, shit like that. But with the, the Penelius Cyanensens, I mean, within 30, 45 minutes, I just slipped away and it was just in a whole different world. And it was, it was beautiful, man. And and, and since then, this whole year I've been, um, you know, uh, when when I do macro dose, that's what I'm, I'm turning to, man. And I'm, I have fallen in love with the damn things, man. They're beautiful. Beautiful. Yeah.
1: And they're easier on your stomach. That's another that was another big big plus to them too, mm-hmm. is you only gotta take a little bit.
0: And you know what's crazy is I also tried uh Azurzins last year too. I did a gram of Azursins and it knocked me on my ass, but it it was real for me. It kind of felt almost like, um, like I was sedated, but I was still tripping, you know? And it was, uh, during the come up, it was really, really interesting because I had like a two hour, (laughs) I had a long ass conversation with myself, (laughs) like with myself. Like I was talking to my, I could hear myself too. It was fucking strange, but I don't know. It just, yeah. (laughs) Like, I I don't, I can't even explain it, man, but I, I, I just had noticed that I was sitting there talking to myself for for a minute and then I you know, then everything just kinda of went downhill after that. But <clears throat> yeah, it was the, the, the Pinellia cyanescence really stand out, man. I, I think it's one of my favorite it is my favorite um go to when it comes to uh you know, dosing myself.
1: You said the wood lovers made you feel kinda of sedated. Yeah, did you ride your eye? My eyes always water real bad and like I don't want to move at all. and I feel a really heavy body load, but they they do, they do come on pretty hard.
0: <laughs> yeah. And I ate them dry. Somebody told me that if you make a tea, it'll help out. But I, uh, once I did it like that, I was like, I'm good. And then I had the Penelius essence, and it was, it, you know, I was, it was over, but I did get a little bit of uh, like I felt like I was really heavy towards the end because I, I remember having to ask my wife to help me get up to go take a piss. <laughs> <laughs> I was probably like two hours into it, but <clears throat> um. So with the uh, so when you said you were doing uh, isolating, how how are you isolating? Are you isolating on agar? Just different parts of of growth that's on the agar.
1: Yeah. So there's a couple of different ways to do it. Um, You can, you know, when you do your spore spread on there, you can see different cultures growing on, on the agar, and you can section out different uh, transfers of growth, but you really don't know what you're getting. I mean, a Mm -hmm. lot of times, cubes, for example, rhizomorphic growth, you know, is going to perform pretty well. Sometimes it doesn't, but a lot of the times it will with pans. If I find really fast wispy looking growth, I can usually, you know, bet that it's going to be a good performing culture. Um, but cloning is really the, the more uh, efficient way of doing it. You run a multi-spore tray and then you can actually see, you know, the fruits of, you know, the culture that you want to clone. So then you can pick, all right, I like the way this fruit looks, take it. And then with pans, it's a little trickier. You got to sterilize your scalpel multiple times and get a little sliver from the inside. Um, but yeah, clones are, uh, Those are definitely a more efficient way to go, but I do I I blind sector also.
0: Sectoring is (laughs) uh, it's a timely process, especially when you know you have multiple types of cultures on one plate. I mean, you can end up with fucking 20 plates off of that one plate. Um, it, it is definitely a timely process. And, and, and I agree with the cloning uh, part of it as well. I think that M- you're doing MS to, to agar and then dropping it on green or <clears throat> growing it out and then just picking whatever, anything, whether it's aesthetics, a potency or whatever you want and then uh, cloning from that fruit.
1: Yeah. yeah. and a lot of times what I'll do is I'll take a like I'll take a multi spore dish and I'll see like a couple growths that I like and I'll pull a small piece out of each one and set them aside, then then drop the whole rest of the dish in a jar. So I'll still and then if I something comes up in there that looks really good and I can clone that, that way I didn't maybe miss something that I didn't spot on the dish. Um but a lot of times there's enough you know, good cultures that I don't feel like I miss a lot of good ones. Um, sometimes though, sometimes you go to MS and you know, you just get a really crap lottery of genetics and it's the best thing to do is just go back to that spore.
0: Yeah. I, I think that's why prints are, are, are so favored, you know, because you can always, you can, you can get something else, you know, from the other side of the print, you know? Yeah.
1: Well, and the prints, you know, the syringes, their their main thing is that you can stick them in a jar and inoculate grain. And, you know, even most cultivators will say like, well, no, you should still put it to agar first. And yeah, I mean, by practice, that's true. However, the whole reason the syringes exist is so that people can directly inoculate them into grain. Because if you're going to put it to agar, why wouldn't you just get a print?
0: Yeah, no makes sense i think that's just uh, uh there's always the possibility of the uh, syringe or likelihood of the syringe being contaminated
1: right and you know sometimes that happens and if you were to put it on agar perhaps you could have transferred out your healthy culture um and you know but i still i don't you know the, the syringes are pretty much uh a crutch for you know trying to skip agar which i totally understand sometimes if you just want to get your feet wet and you don't want to you know have to invest in dishes and do all that the first time but uh, i definitely recommend if it's something you want to continually do um that you work with agar and you know eventually get your way to prints so that you don't have to mess with the syringes because it is additional vectors um that you have to potentially deal with
0: yeah, there's definitely a place for it in in the craft for sure, especially for for people who just want that ease or, or are just beginning for sure. Um, <clears throat> so with the with the sign signet, so you you ended up graduating or going from that model tub to the to the to the jartha, which you got to write up on on the shroomery, right? Is that pretty much just kind of evolved from the tub to the tent?
1: Right. Yeah. So it's the same concept that the, the tent pulls in, it pulls in humid air from the top and then the fan down low um, is what is what pulls my, uh, you know, is my exhaust fan. And then I have another filter up high. So the fogger will kick on and it fills the tent with fog. And then it sits like that for like three minutes or no, sorry, a minute and a half and halfway through it filling up. The fan at the bottom kicks on, and that drags all the fog down into the surface on the trays. You know, making sure that you're not it doesn't all settle on the sides, and you know, it's actually getting your your uh, casing wet. And then it continues to run for another minute and a half after the fogger kicks off, and this pulls a bunch of dry air in. And this ha- causes your evaporation to happen. So then it starts to evaporate up. It sits for about ten minutes. And then it repeats again. And that process of constant evaporation is what I've found, at least for pans that really pull up bigger pin sets. If you want to get, you know, more, of them up at once
0: let's change it because you know coming from cultivating cubensis you know uh, there, you can literally just flip the lid on a fucking monotub and then things will sprout you know and then get, getting into penelia cyanescence and like you know because i went through that through your tech and read everything and <clears throat> it was kind of hard to for me to kind of um uh, understand that, you know, that FAE and that evaporation is so much more important when you're out running this type of setup, as opposed to just, you know, flipping a lid on a monotub, <laughs> you know? Yeah.
1: I mean, here's the thing with, with the with the cubes, the cubes just give you a lot more leeway in terms of, first of all, resistance to contamination. So being able to get to the point where you have healthy spawn, you know, inoculating your bulk, you know, is easier to get to that point without any problems. And then the, uh, the, the actual fruiting, the fruiting cycle. Yeah. The cubes don't need near as much FAE. In fact, if I put a cube tray into my Martha, they, perform pretty poorly compared to what they would in a traditional set uh setup um and that's you know pans sometimes you get a really good hit with genetics you can pull you know pans up like i've seen people say like oh well here's a grow for uh you know a monotub of pans and like you know it'll be a pretty decent grow but my thing is how many times can you make that happen because yeah. in my experience sometimes you just hit the lottery with genetics and they just want to grow you know almost regardless. And then you try and make that happen again, unless you give them right what they want, they're only going to partially perform for you at best.
0: Right, right. I've seen that happen multiple times, even with the Cubensis, um, even like uh, the more heavily domesticated GTs, B plus stuff like that. You'll see, you know, somebody on their first (laughs) girl with like a whole fucking full canopy in a monotub. And then it's a little disheartening, you know, (laughs) (laughs) when you try to replicate it. (laughs)
1: Yeah, so I mean, well, a lot of that is, I mean, the thermodynamics on the monotub are important, but yeah, I mean, sometimes you just get a really good producing, you know, cube strain and uh, it does 90% of the work for you. Um, And that same thing can happen with pans. It's just, you try not to rely on that because if you do, you're going to end up wasting a lot of material with cubes though you'll pretty much always at least get something for your efforts
0: don't you think that uh for the most part when cultivating indoors i'm not too sure about outdoors i've never done any outdoor beds but the the majority of how successful besides your own work ethic and your due diligence which you know is always going to need need be needed but genetics right the the proper culture once you get a good culture i mean that thing's going to perform you know pretty well
1: absolutely yeah i mean and then keeping that culture going and not letting it you know it's because sometimes people will overdo cultures and they'll start to go and they won't want to admit it and uh but yeah i mean you constantly staying on top of your genetics and constantly keep you know keep that stuff you know advancing forward. And then the rest of your stuff will be a lot easier. If you, you know, if you get to a point where you're like, all right, I got good genetics. Now I'm just going to rerun this thing over and over and over again. You know, you're going to hit a point where you got to go back and now do a whole bunch of catch-up work because you haven't been working on your genetics.
0: Now, when you say you haven't been working on your genetics, can you explain that a little bit further?
1: Well, So like if I get, if I get a new strain in and, you know, I want to replicate, you know, a whole bunch of, a whole bunch of prints of it, I want to find, uh, I want to find an isolate that's going to give me, you know, workable size caps. So I don't, you know, I don't need pancake size prints. I can't do much with those. So I want an ISO that's going to give me about half dollar size caps that drop good spores and that, you know, or relatively contamination resistant and move quickly or relatively quickly. So, you know, if if you just take any print and then just pull any random, you know, ice or uh, culture off there and just try and run through with that. I mean, you might get lucky and make some work, but you're going to have a hard time consistently getting X amount of prints every time you run through it. So you want to make sure that you have working cultures for prints, you know, on, anything that you want to run through for that and then you know with with, for the syringes it's not as important to have the uh you know the uniform size caps because it's all going to get dumped onto a wall sheet but you still want to have really heavy spore drops so if you have one come up that's no good for prints, well, then okay you can move that over to (laughs) syringes um I lost my train of thought, but
0: yeah. Well, I got, I got a question about that. Don't don't you, do you think that once you get a culture dialed in, so to speak for whatever it is that you chose it for, whether it was printing or, well, let's just say in this case for, you know, aesthetics, large, massive fruits, big flush. Um, once you get it dialed in enough, do you think that the spores that you take from those fruits um, have more of a chance to be able to replicate that same uh, flush or whatever you chose it for. Yeah, I mean, I feel like
1: you you can definitely make certain traits dominant. That doesn't mean that every culture you grow from those spores is going to contain those traits. But I feel like you can definitely increase the chances the more you breed traits together. Um, but yeah, once you break isolate, there's still gonna you know there's still gonna be recessive traits that can show up that you know weren't what the parent strain had.
0: Hey, and then uh you you use uh is it Milo or is it Millet that you use uh grain or do you just millet. use all kinds of grain? Well, I use mostly millet and uh
1: steam crimped oats. And the main reason for that is just price. You know, a lot of people use rye, which was uh sixty five dollars for yeah, a fifty pounds. Have you ever <laughs>
0: tried uh Milo or sorghum? No, not not no, not, not
1: for any reason other. I than I just you Know, have it crossed it, but um, I've read about other people using
0: it. What about uh, this is another one that I don't see a lot of people using, but the people that I do see using them, I mean, they're they're huge proponents of, which is uh, whole wheat grain. You ever tried that? Um, no, I don't think I have used wheat, they plump Look, up like four, five times the size than, than what they are when they're dry. I mean, they hold a lot of water, but I've heard a lot of people tell me that uh, they're real prone to bacterial uh, contamination.
1: Yeah. With grain, especially with pans, you don't want your grain too wet at all. In fact, for pans, especially you try and err on the side of dry, which is why I like the millet because it doesn't take on all that uh, water. Mm-hmm. Um, because yeah, you know, when you have a whole bunch of water loaded in there, you know you're more likely to have bacterial problems, and the pans they really don't put up any amount of fight against them. If your pans go bacterial, they're cooked.
0: Yeah, man, that's that's strange about the 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 type of culture that you search for in a cubensis as opposed to penelia cyanescence. It's a huge difference. You know, a lot of people see that wispy or tomentose type growth in a cubensis and they automatically think that it's no good, but To be honest with me, I've had tomatose cultures, you know, fruit prolifically, but with the Penelia cyanescence, you know, that was one of the things I first learned when I, when I first started, you know, messing around with the, with them was that fast wispy culture, you know, and, and, and sure enough, I mean, that's exactly what you want. It kind of, it was kind of like a a little bit of a learning curve, you know, starting with that in mind.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And they, they, um, you'll find that when, when you move them to jar, a lot of the cultures they have, like, uh, I'd call it the stall test. Like, so you'll find a good culture. It's moving fast. You move it to grain. And then the first time you shake it, you find out whether it's going to, you know, do well or not. So sometimes you'll find something, you'll be real happy with it. You'll shake it and it'll just stall out. And I'd say about 30% of the time, Uh, (laughs) that happens, but I've kind of just gotten, you know, gotten used to knowing that, all right, I got a new culture. I'm going to stall test it before I put it down more than, in more than one jar. And then once it, once it passes that, then I'll go ahead and replicate it a few times.
0: And then with your, with your substrate, uh, you're using, uh, horse manure and straw, right? Or or, what else is in the, in the substrate that you usually use?
1: So right now, I'm actually using
0: mostly cow manure. You know, my manure changes
1: depending on, you know, the time of year and where I can get you it. Know, a lot of your materials depend on what you can get. Yeah. I don't think that, you know, only one thing will work. Uh, yeah. I like to put straw in my substrate just because pans uh, really easily go deprived of oxygen. Mm-hmm. So if you have a really dense, thick substrate, um, you know, your culture is going to die out a lot of times before it fully colonizes so the straw kind of helps keep it fluffy and uh keeps that from happening um although you do like blue hill like he doesn't put straw in uh, his substrate and he has amazing flushes so maybe that could be the, the consistency of the manure he's using or yeah you know
0: no it makes sense i remember um reading um an, not an argument, but more more like a conversation about the ratio between the horse manure or manure and and the straw when it comes to Penelius Cyanessence. Do you have any type of opinion on that or is it just you already kind of know or eyeball it?
1: You're talking about the amount of
0: straw? Uh, yeah, like the ratio, like a 60 percent manure to 40 percent straw or 30 percent manure to, you know, 70 percent, whatever the case may be. Do you have like a, prefer- a preference on that? <laughs>
1: Yeah, usually it's uh, it's about thirty percent manure. Um, again, depending on the type of manure, I'll kind of change that around. Um, yeah. If it's super fluffy and I'm not super concerned about it, you know, becoming a wet, dense mess, I'll try and add more in, um, and maybe go up to as much as fifty percent. Um, but if it's on the dense side and I, you know, I'm afraid that it's gonna just kind of turn into a, a thick you know, mud pie, then I'll cut it down sometimes even as low as 25%.
0: Yeah, it makes sense. So you're, you're kind of just taking into consideration, you know, the, the, what you have on hand and then the environment that that's going to be in as well. Right.
1: Yeah, exactly. I mean, you'll learn, you'll learn more by consistency than anything else, what you're looking for. And you know, if it's something that stays light and fluffy and it doesn't, you know, it doesn't have any sitting water and it, it doesn't look like it's super dense, then the culture is likely going to run right through it. Um, and that's been the the biggest the biggest thing in terms of bulk fail that I've found is you know just it being too dense.
0: Yeah, it makes sense. It makes sense. Uh, for for the um, for the tent. You ended up. I, I remember reading you were saying that you had tried putting the exhaust fan in different locations, and you settled on the back rear towards the bottom of the tent being the best because you're pulling in the. Um, the air from the top, which in theory, or it happens the air goes across the, the surface of the trays, right?
1: Right. Yep. It pulls everything down into the trays, so all the fog gets drugged down into the trays on its way out, and then the fresh air comes down and hits the trays and causes that evaporation on the surface.
0: Now, for, in your experience, or do all pans like that? that evaporation, that fresh air, that consistent uh, you know, process there, or is there some that prefer a little bit, uh, you know, something different, maybe even like in temperature or anything like that?
1: Um, well, the biggest difference, well, I'd say the bisporus and the tropicalis, they seem to do a little bit better. If things are kept a little wetter than, I mean, the uh, cyanessence won't, you know, not perform in those conditions, but they will be unnecessarily wet. You won't, you don't need that. But for the tropicalis and the bisporis, I've found that they do better if they're uh, good and soggy. Still, you don't want standing water, but I mean, I drain the tray out about once a day with those. And as long as you don't let it sit there and they constantly have that evaporation happening, um, it can be pretty wet.
0: Now, you know what I like about the, the whole Jartha, the whole Martha setup is uh, I've, I've ran into plenty of times where I was trying a different tech, whether it was just a tray, fruiting chamber, whatever. The one thing that I, that I ran into early on was misting pins and then aborting every single one of them fuckers. <laughs> but I think with the fan, you know, you have that mister, the humidifier in there. It, it's a lot more gentle than, you know, spraying from a mist bottle directly onto these little, you know, pins on there. I think that's a hell of a. Yeah, I
1: I think a lot of that is once you miss them, if they are allowed to then fully dry out, they abort but with recycling the they don't you know that 10 minutes isn't a long enough period of time that they really dry out it's just enough time for some evaporation to happen and then they get hit again with more moisture so if you were to come back and mist those pins every 15 minutes they might have been okay um,
0: Yeah, see, I thought the same
1: thing at first maybe it was water droplet size but I don't think that's as much the case
0: mm, I see what you're saying it's just that, that difference between when it's completely soaked and then the the how, how how dry it gets, huh? Right, that <clears throat> drastic change in humidity. <laughs> now, uh, you also with the substrate, you um, use the slow cooker, right? Yeah, for the pasteurization. Now, this this is a pretty unique process. Um, I mean, I know I've seen other people do something similar, uh, but you put them in a in the slow cooker. You keep tech uh, keep. Keep track of the temperature and then you leave it overnight or something like that, right?
1: Yeah, so the keep warm function
0: on most. Electric
1: cookers is right around 162 degrees Fahrenheit, which is right where you want it for pasteurization. So, you know, back before when I said I was growing those straw logs and stuff, I used to take a big tote and I would fill it up with water at 180 degrees and then drop a laundry bag full of straw in it, which would drop the temperature to 160 degrees. And then I had this lid that pressed it down. and I'd kind of watch the temperature. I mean, you know, it was uh, two hours of hell. So when I figured out <laughs> I figured out the, uh, the keep warm method hit that same temperature. I uh, you know I just tried it once and I did it for just uh, you know two hours not taking into account how long it took for that core temperature to reach. 162 degrees. And of course it failed. So then I tried again. And this time I just ran it for, I think I ran it for like six hours. I tried to time how long it took the core temperature to reach 162. And I think it was like four and a half hours or something.
0: No shit.
1: So I was like, well shit for all that, I'll just run it overnight. So I ran it 12 hours and everything worked out fine. And yeah, I just did it like that ever
0: since. So that's your go-to method for uh, pasteurization?
1: yeah for pasteurization i'll still run sterile bags sometimes too um you know because my my method's still not perfect i still have some you know i still have failures that i'd like to cut out and wasted material i'd like to cut out um so i'm still trying other methods like i ran a bunch of blue helix uh substrate bags the other day um and they don't have any straw in them and that's all sterile bags.
0: Is that like what, uh, Sura does with, the the sterilized, he puts everything in there, including the grain substrate, and then, uh, inoculates oh. with liquid culture. Yeah.
1: Yeah. I think Azura does the same thing. I think Azura adds straw to his substrate. I could be wrong about that. Um, but yeah, you inoculate with the LC and, you know, I would, uh, it would be nice to not have to work with all, all the grain spawn. If I could just go with, directly with LC and, uh, skip out that whole step. I would definitely like it. I did run a couple trays last week and, uh, it was the exact same method, except I didn't follow his substrate. Um, I put straw in it and I didn't, exactly calculate the exact same supplemented grain ratio so when he makes when he makes bulk instead of adding grain spawn to inoculate it he just adds lc however he adds grain to his bulk before sterilization yeah so that grain is still in there providing some form of a nutrient boost and that's where You know, there's still kind of this big question mark, you know, with growing pans is, you know, is there a direct connection between the amount of grain that goes in and the the yield that comes out? I mean, I I know there's a breaking point. When you go above about one to four ratio, you start running into way more problems than it's worth. Mostly it just contaminates. Um, yeah. But then with these last couple of trays, I probably only supplemented maybe a half a handful of grain in there, and I got nothing to come up. So huh. it, it could have been something else that caused that. But if it was the low grain ratio, then they do actually need to pull some grain or some nutrients from grain uh, to flush.
0: Yeah, it makes sense for <laughs> sure, dude. Well, I mean, <laughs> you're a fucking wizard with them things, man. Yeah, I mean. <laughs> You post some pretty cool shit, man, it's very inspiring to to a lot of people. I'm sure. I really want to ask you about the apron. I mean, I could ask you offline about it. So, <laughs> I mean, that's. Well, I mean, what do you want? To, what do you want to know about it? Well, like, how did how did that even come about? <laughs> like. You just decided, hey, I'm gonna I'm gonna revert some apes today. <laughs> like how that This
1: story, story is extremely <laughs> underwhelming. So that was actually completely accidental. Like really? I didn't set out to do that or anything. I just uh, I ran an APE and one of the fruits in the tub was APER. I mean, it was completely different. And I cloned it and it stabilized immediately. And bang.
0: <laughs> no, the, the APRs are the are the fruits completely uh white or albino or white as well? Not completely. Some of them have
1: this like little gold ring right at the top, but for the most part they're uh yeah, they're pretty albino. And I've been getting albino flushes with them, unfortunately, because I can't print them because they're you know completely sporeless. And I think most of that is just the ISO that I that I ran. So I'm going back to print to uh, try and just find some better print droppers. But that was, you know, one of the main reasons I was so excited about it is because traditional APE is such a bitch to print.
0: Yeah, yeah, you see a lot of swabs out there, huh? <laughs> swabs and then
1: uh, even gill fragments and then LC.
0: Now, um, you know, that's you bring up an interesting topic um, and this is something that I've been seeing a lot of and to be honest with you I I don't know if I can believe a lot of people out there now now you specifically and, and other people there is some people that for sure you know that that they did get this and they isolated but like I've I've been seeing people like on Reddit, you know, growing enigma. And then there's like these Cubentis popping up next to them, you know, and now they're calling it something like enigma reverted or something like that. Or, you know, I keep seeing this happen, And, and to be honest with you, I, I, me personally, I, I don't even know what to believe or how to, but you know, it's just, it, it's popping up a lot in the, like the last year, you know, people, finding this, you know, one particular mushroom and then cloning it and, and so forth. And it's like, I, I don't know. I mean, it, it, look at, look at the thing we were talking about the other day about how <clears throat> there was a vendor who purchased like all the spores in a catalog of another vendor and then turned around and changed the names on them and started, you know, slanging spores that way, you know, like there's always some kind of sh- shady stuff happening in it and it kind of I don't know man for me it's just it's a little disheartening I mean it's its not like it's ruining my fucking day or anything but I don't know I, 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 see, I see it a lot especially in, in like I wouldn't call them nobody but like just people that are very new to the to the whole craft you know.
1: Well, so here's the thing. First of all, Enigma is a mutation off of Tidal Wave, so revert <laughs> off of Enigma is is Tidal Wave, which exists. And I haven't I haven't seen any of these or what you're talking about, um, so I don't know what it looks like or if it looks just like Tidal Wave. The other thing they could have done is they just mixed two different grain spawns together, so a couple other fruits come up next to Enigma and they can say it reverted. Again, I don't know that that's what's happening, but it could be. But yeah, I see what you're saying. Um, <laughs> you know, a lot of that is. You know, you know, what, you know, what people like about the different strains. I mean, in all honesty, there's not a whole lot of variants. I mean, a good cube strain can, you know, be, you know, a, a nice decent performer and it can give good looking fruits. And some of them are definitely more potent than others. But, you know, I feel like a lot of it is just, it's kind of a collector's thing, you know, it's kind of like yep. Pokemon.
0: Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It really is sometimes. And what's funny is, is you can have three different, a strain, so to speak, with three different names, and they all look exactly the same,
1: <laughs> right? And I mean, that's just those would just be low value Pokemon cards. I mean, there's, a lot of,
0: <laughs> there's
1: a lot of names out there. Uh, what was the one that I uh, thought I had figured out? Um, the dancing um, just, tigers, uh, yeah, the dancing tiger. Yeah. It um looks exactly like Melmax or not Melmax. I'm sorry, on uh, Mazdapex, yeah, yeah, and uh. <coughs> Yeah. I mean, it's okay. So if it is different then you know, if you can't tell, why does that matter? So I think some people are still going to get, you know, get with that. And I I don't think it's really going to get too much in the way of things. I think, you know, if it just looks like another cube mushroom, it's just not gonna, it's not going to become that popular. Like dancing tiger, that's a really cool name, but you're right. It looks like a regular mushroom.
0: (laughs) Yeah. You know what? Um, what do you think about senescence? Because speaking of of, of Enigma, Enigma is is a sporeless uh, mutation from tidal wave, which tidal wave is uh, a cross between Penis and B and B plus, I believe. Right. Yes. So Enigma is being spread or shared, however, by basically the same culture. So that kind of brings in the idea of senescence. Like to me I think of enigma as the true test of senescence. And and personally I have cultivated enigma myself and <clears throat> you know to for me I didn't really notice a huge, huge difference in terms of potency or, you know, the type of effect that I I would expect from something like that, and including the tidal waves too. I've always stood by the albino penis envy to be one of the most potent cubensis I've eaten in my experience, but the enigma is is kind of special in that sense that it's the same culture that's getting passed around. Basically, I mean. I mean, it is, you know, and it's, it it is a true test of senescence, right?
1: Yeah, absolutely. And yeah, I mean, it would definitely be cool to see how long it's able to keep performing. And if it does eventually go out, then everyone that was able to try it was, you know, has their nice own little isolated segment in time that, you know, no one else can lay claim to.
0: (laughs) Well, the thing about senescence too is... It can come in different forms, not just the the lack of fruiting, but also the lack of potency, right? Right. Lack of potency,
1: yeah, I mean, it, it can just really slow down to where it doesn't perform well at all. Yeah, I mean, it can it can kind of come in a few different ways. Um, have, you,
0: have you ever ran into any, any issues with senescence with any type of culture before? Well, cordyceps.
1: So cordyceps experience it very quickly, uh, usually in about a year. Um, so it's very important to constantly be, you know, breeding your cultures, uh, intra and inter, uh, to keep those genetics alive and healthy. And I kind of, I haven't done a whole lot of work with cordyceps in the last couple months, just because the summer and I've been focusing on the cradle, but I'm about to start that back up again. And that was another you know, thing that got me really interested in the genetics is, you know, if you want to grow cordyceps, you kind of got to dive into that and, uh. Yeah, when I, when I did, I really became interested.
0: Now, with the with the cordyceps, uh, it's a little bit of a different process than cubensis and or panelliosis essence, right? Like in terms of um, substrate that you use. Um, I, I think I saw you using some type of a. It was, it was like a broth. It was kind of like hardened a little bit or something like that, right?
1: Right, so in in nature, they're a parasitic fungus. So, you know, you can grow them on a a couple different kinds of beetles, and, uh, you know, and people do, and they come in these little like tubes and stuff growing off of the, the beetle or whatever. Um, but yeah, so essentially what we're doing is we're trying to take the primary nutrients that we know the fungus wants and we make this broth and then we soak the grain in this broth. And then when you cook it, it absorbs all those nutrients. And then that kind of gives, you know, the, the culture a uh, substrate full of, you know, most of the stuff it's looking for. Now there are reports about, you know, uh, potency differences on, uh, cordyceps grown on grain to those grown on insects. and uh, so if that's true, that makes me think that they haven't completely figured out everything that they're after. But, um, yeah.
0: I've never seen, uh, I've never seen or spoken with anybody who grows cordyceps like in a, like in a large, like in a commercial type setting. Uh, what, what do they use in that, in that type of setting? Are they still using like broth green type process or,
1: Yeah, so there's a couple of different ways it's done. Um, So some people use like smaller, like glad containers and just run a a shit ton of them. And so they make a large batch of broth, a large batch of grain, and they, you know, you cook it all beforehand and lay your containers out in front of a flow hood and then measure out your substrate into each container, let that cool, and then inoculate it with LC all in front of the lid or in front of the hood and put your lid on and then it has to go in the dark for, uh, it's about two weeks, um, for it to consolidate and you want to keep it in the total dark. And then uh, you, you can introduce it into its uh, lighting cycles. Um, and then the other ways people can use—I mean, you can use larger totes, and it's pretty much the same thing. Rather than filling a bunch of little containers, you you know dump more of the substrate into this tote, you will pat it down so it's nice and even, and then LC inoculate, and then same thing—it goes into the dark. But yeah, they're all in vitro grows. It's none of it is open air like yeah. pretty much everything else.
0: Huh. Yeah, that's a whole different animal in itself, man. I, I haven't really even looked into the cultivation of of the the cordyceps as much, but <clears throat> I want to go over the. I know you mentioned Kratom. I want to go over the your experience with with this plant and uh, kind of where. I mean, obviously, it stemmed from possibly a necessity from you know withdrawals or whatever the case may be, but what what was your whole process or, or catalyst to when it comes to the your relationship with that plant
1: <laughs> so the, the first time i tried it i um I had just gone, they they, they had just gone. Called, called me in and told me that that whole thing with the opiates and they wanted to put me on Suboxone and I, got, I was deciding whether or not I was going to do it. So I went to some gas station and I got a packet of manga Kratom because I'd heard people talk about it. And actually, until I went and got it, I thought you smoked it. <laughs> <but> I knew <laughs> nothing about it. And uh, I made the whole packet into this nasty tea and I drank it and it, it felt like I sniffed a perk 10. I, you know, I had energy and I was a little itchy and, uh, I felt good. So I was like, all right, so this stuff definitely does something, you know, it's not total snake oil. Um, so then I ended up going and, uh, doing some more research on what it would take to, to cultivate. And I was like, all right, so like, if this stuff actually does work, you know, the, the, the main thing I would want to know is how hard would it be to, you know, make it for myself? So I kind of looked around the internet and uh, pretty much everything I saw on the internet was like, oh, it's damn near impossible to grow. Mm, you shouldn't really try. Clones usually fail. <laughs> and... Uh, I uh, kind of just didn't want to accept that. I was like, there's no way that, you know, it just won't root at all. So I ordered like four or five plants and, uh, put them actually in the tent with, uh, with the, uh, the pans. And they did fine for a little bit. Um, yeah, it did. I did end up getting some contamination issues once they started to get a little bigger. Uh, I took them out, but, um, it took me about a year to get the cloning process down. I mean, it's, once you get it, it's really not that hard, but you know, kind of like the pans they are really picky. They, you know, they need a lot of humidity and you got you can't use tap water. learn that the hard way <laughs> and you can't use too much Clonex, and, uh, you need to use like an all natural, uh, was it bacteria? It's a, it's an anti-fungicide, but it's like, well, where is it? Home lawn, lawn and garden but it basically balances the microbes in the water. Hmm. And uh, yeah, they do better once like, you know, at first I was changing the water like every couple of days thinking, you know, if I just keep fresh water in there, it's got to be better. And they actually do better once I let the water run for a little bit and it kind of balances itself. Um, I do change it like once every three weeks, but that schedule seems to work much better for them.
0: Now you're, you're talking about during the cloning process? Yeah. So how are you? How what what's the setup like? Uh, you're just doing uh, like um, uh, like the little clones in the what is those little blocks like they do with the cannabis, right? They put them in the little blocks and it's just the roots and you're running water with nutrients in them.
1: Yeah, so I'm doing an aero mist system, so it's basically like a tub of water, and in the tub is this water pump, and off of the <laughs> pump is this uh, this bracket of tubing with these little nozzles, so that it kind of shoots this mist up you know, mm-hmm. at the bottom of the plants, mm-hmm. and then the plants set in these circles in this tray lid. And, uh, yeah, then I can add nutrients to the plant, uh, to the water as I need. Um, but yeah, there's no soil. It's not like the soil plugs. And some people do use them, but, um, I, and I did try that, but I didn't have any success with them. Uh, cause it seems like they, they, they take a decent uh, time to start growing roots. It's usually at least like a week and a half before mm-hmm. I see anything, and uh, at first, I was losing like eighty percent of them. They would just kind of go brown, and I would you know, have to toss them out and replace them. And every so often, a couple of them would start to root. And now I, I probably only lose like five percent of them. Damn! But it still takes about a week and a half before I start to see any root development.
0: Now, is kratom a tree? Is it a bush? What what is the the form of of kratom? <laughs> That's an 80 foot tall tree. (laughs) (laughs) So, so in that case, I mean, for, for, for somebody to get a plant like this and try to, I mean, use it for, you know, for their own medical use or whatever you want to call it. um, It's going to be a long time. (laughs) Yeah, it's, it's a long
1: time and the younger plants, they don't produce quite as much mitragania as the older ones um it's more a labor of love but yeah. the uh w- once you get i mean you know you don't you can bush them down to keep, keep them from just growing straight up like mine are about two and a half years old now and i just continued to top them and you know bush them and so to get them to grow out as much as possible and uh yeah i'm just gonna kind of play it by ear and see <laughs> how much i can stump their growth
0: um that's pretty cool, man. Now the, 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 the strains or, or, or different type of kratom. Um, I could be wrong. I, I'm not too, not well versed with kratom with this plant, but I read somewhere that the type of kratom that you receive, whether it's uh, green, red, white, yellow vein, whatever, golden vein, it's just in the matter of, um, the stage of growth for the plant. Is that right?
1: Yeah, abs- <laughs> in a lot of ways. So the strains are, you know, there are different regional strains, and those regional strains do contain different levels of alkaloids. However, the difference in red, white, green, yeah, there's, you, you know, every plant has some red leaves at certain times and some white leaves at certain, or not white leaves, green leaves at certain times. Um, and then there's also, you know, what part of the plant. So you also have, uh, you know, stem and bark. And that, that gives off a different effect. And so that would mostly be from the ground up, you know, roots and the actual branches and stuff. Um, but, yeah, so in the like mangda, that's not a strain. That's a that's a type of preparation. So yeah, there's more than one variance in, you know, in the different kinds that you, like you see available for consumption.
0: And, and the thing is, too, it's there's a different effect for each one of them, you know, like from, from red to white, green to gold or yellow, there, there is subtle differences with them. Like sometimes I'll take, and to be honest with you, I don't know which one, man, I just got a bunch of different packs, (laughs) but sometimes I'll take like, I don't know if it's a white or a gold one and I kind of get energy, like almost kind of like a, like a little boost, like almost like caffeine kind of. (laughs)
1: Yep. The the white Borneo, the Mangda, the the green Melee. Yeah, they're all much more uh, energy driven. And then, like your red vein Bali and stuff, they're more sedative. Um, but yeah it's weird how much the strain like most people that I've talked to about it like you know use it they are very particular on their strain and they've tried <laughs> other ones and they hate it on them
0: <laughs> yeah that's something when, when you're first getting into Kratom uh, to do the research on that you know I, I, I went in just thinking Kratom was Kratom and just trying stuff out and fucking passing out in like two hours <laughs> just taking some shat and no but then you know once you start finding the differences and you find you know what works best for you i think that's that's where you find your sweet spot <clears throat> yeah absolutely now and the, the thing
1: with the extracts too you find a working extract whether it be tincture or powder or, yeah i mean you kind of do got to play and find what your body's gonna react well to
0: that's what i was gonna ask you about with the extract how, how is that process like um how do you even go about doing something like that with kratom
1: so there's a few different processes um the one I've mostly been working with, because I have the Soxlet extractors, is you know using the Soxlet. So mostly uh, I do an alcohol strip. So I load the Soxlet with my ethanol at the bottom, and then my plant matter goes in the chamber, you know above it, and I run the Soxlet, and the alcohol starts to pull all the alkaloids out of the plant matter as it circulates, you know, through the Soxlet. <laughs> And when it's done, I have this distillate tincture of alcohol and kratom alkaloids, and it's like this black liquid. And so then I need to remove the alcohol back out of it, or most of mostly back out of it. So I move over to a distillation. And um, there's a couple different forms. There's short path, fractal, uh, vacuum. Um, Mostly I've just been doing simple distillation. Um, You know, I just heat it up back through a condenser and then separate the alcohol out And, uh, I leave it, I I don't want to separate too much out that I can't get it out of the flask. So I still leave it like kind of viscous Yeah. and, uh, then I pour it into a Pyrex and, uh, put the Pyrex in the dehydrator to pull the rest of it out. And then when I'm done, I get this, uh, like sticky resin.
0: Yeah. I remember you posted, uh, you had this big ass ball and you said it was some kind of mixture of kratom and something else i forgot or maybe i'm thinking about the the tincture that you had but i remember seeing you posted that like ball of like crap yeah, <laughs> <laughs> now how much like in, in terms of dosage um like how how different is it when it comes to using that type of extract than just the regular powder i know there's a difference but how, what would you say is the amount of the difference on there So that
1: ball that I had there was about an ounce and a half of kratom to go into it. Mm. So you take, you know, breaking off a little piece and eating it is going to be, I don't want to say it's the exact same as eating like a straight three grams because there is a difference in, you know, what is lost during extraction, Yeah, but you definitely get more bang for your buck. And I actually tried, you know, I actually ended up smoking most of that. And, you know, it's hard to tell what's placebo and what's not, but every yeah. time I definitely did get a nice relaxing feeling. And as I dosed off the Suboxone, I, that was the main form. I supplemented instead of eating Kratom. I just would smoke that with my weed you know, throughout the day. And, uh, <laughs> yeah, that was a pretty, that was a pretty easy detox. I mean, That's it wasn't really cool, bad when I woke
0: up. Now, um, I know, I remember reading one of your posts and you were saying that you were trying to come up with some type, some type of a tincture to kind of help with uh, people going through withdrawals. Can you talk a little bit more about that?
1: Yeah, so, you know, there's there's multiple different symptoms, especially on higher higher amounts of, um, of opiates. So like your restless legs and like that heavy anxiety and then your churned stomach. So while kratom does help with some of the, system, the symptoms, you know, if you're coming off of a high dose, there's still other, you know, other negative effects that you're feeling. So I'm trying to. To find a way to make that even more comfortable for people, you know, especially that are coming off of higher doses, Um, using uh, wild lettuce is one thing I'm experimenting with. Uh, The cordyceps, the cordycepin, actually helps your bodies uh, be able to absorb oxygen, which helps your muscles not feel as crappy. Um, and then even Rishi, I, I've talked to a couple people now. I haven't personally experienced or really tried this, but they said that Rishi helped them with their detox. Hmm. Uh, yeah, I mean, I'm just I'm trying to come up with something that uh, is more than what you know because right now kratom exists and it's in the head shops but i still feel like a lot of people at least like you know that i know personally that are still using they've, they've tried it and it's still not quite enough for the, you know they're still too uncomfortable and they give up yeah and really like for there to be something out there that really does you know help them get over that you know that bump without you know the, you know having to get locked into a detox which sometimes that's what it, that, you know that's what it takes now but if they're not willing to go, a lot of times they don't make it.
0: No, I, that makes sense. It makes sense. I mean, I, me personally, I've never had, you know, I never got too deep with the opiates, you know, so I never kind is enough for me, even just a plant matter, but I understand that there's a need for that. And, and in regards to you <clears throat> supplying that type of need and, and trying to contribute, you know, to, to that aspect uh, of society, um, is there anything else that you do to kind of um, anything else that you do in, in, that's similar to this?
1: Um, You mean in terms of trying to uh, Help addicts and stuff?
0: Well just trying to fucking help anybody Or you know trying to put back into the community Or anything like that
1: yeah I mean mostly I'm just trying to help you know teach people how to do this stuff on their own I try and be as transparent with you know the stuff that I'm doing so that if there's other people that you know are trying to do the same thing we can kind of build off each other because ultimately I just want you know I would like for something to you know come into existence that that helps people and whether or not it's entirely my baby or not is is a little less important to me um so so I try, you know, when people ask me questions and stuff, you know, my, my wife asks me, she's like, well, why do you spend all this time like talking to people and stuff? I'm like, why don't you just do it? Yeah, well, because I'm not going to be enough, you know, everyone, you know, people are going to have to, you know, take their health into their own hands and their, you know, their medicine and stuff. Like, it. it it's not going to be enough for just a few of us to do it. Like, I think it's more about people getting interested in being a part of their own healing and health.
0: <laughs> well, yeah, that's that's the reason why, you know, for me, I'm a big proponent of, of spreading that knowledge, you know, because uh, that definitely is the most powerful thing uh, that anybody can do that has this knowledge. And I, and my hat's off to you for that, man. It's, uh, you know, I, I, come across, I've been coming across more and more people in the community that, you know, are like this, you know, they're, they're kind of, uh, it's, it's a selfless endeavor, you know, so to, so to speak. But, um, I know recently, um, <clears throat> I believe that you had a Facebook group or something like that. And recently you're trying to get some more people over here uh, to DMT world as well. Can you, Elaborate a little bit more on that.
1: Yeah, so um, it looks like Facebook changed their terms and conditions and pretty much they don't want anyone talking about what they consider non-medical drugs um, in any positive format. So basically anyone condoning microdosing of psilocybin, or I know they have their own section for marijuana, or using of crayon for uh, OMT or opiate withdrawal... um, you know th- them just completely banning that conversation from their platform to me is you know a huge failure of you know the people that use the platform because there's some I mean, you can look through the groups and see there's so many people that are looking for help in these areas and for them to just outright you know say nope you can't talk about it um it was kind of the straw that you know, broke the camel's back because I knew they had banned Clay click- Crate before, and that pissed me off. But, you know, there were not enough people that you know, were really affected by that. And uh, now if they start shutting down all the mushroom groups. Um, I, I just think that, you know, we don't need them, especially with DMT World. I mean, the platform is real easy to use. And, you know, I think that if, if enough people switch over, it can very quickly do everything that Facebook can.
0: You know, I've, I've, I, I had a Facebook back in like 2008 and I just recently opened up, opened, opened up an account, but I'm, I opened it up and then I closed it. (laughs) I I, uh, suspended the account. Uh, My fucking wife was telling me a bunch of shit about it. I was like, ah, whatever. But I don't know so much about what's going on in Facebook, but to be honest with you, you know, that was one of the commonalities when, when I got to DMT world, you know, I, I came, I went online Uh, the beginning of last year, I think, or the year before, I can't remember, but I ended up going to DMT world and, and started meeting people on there and everybody was from all these different social media platforms and just kind of complaining about the same thing and kind of a little bit jaded, you know, about it, which understandably so, you know, I mean, uh, freedom of speech is, is something that is valued, especially in, in our society, you know, and, and for people to try to squash that. I mean, it's like it's almost counterintuitive to, to having a social platform.
1: Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I even understand like some of the fact check shit. Like you're giving people the ability to see, you know, opposing opinions, and then they can decide for themselves. I mean, because you know you can't trust the fact checkers always either. Either so. Yeah. I mean, you enter then you have this whole political thing going into it, and you got you know people on both sides that are you know not happy with the censorship. Uh, I feel like it's a good time to kind of make it happen. Um, you know, with that in combination with everything else.
0: Yeah and you know the thing about uh, DMT world I I've worked with the admins uh, since last year and and, and the one th- biggest thing is the freedom of speech and there has been I wouldn't call them arguments, but more of like just meaningful conversations regarding what people post and what people say. And, you know, just, just the same old bullshit, right? Because everybody comes to a platform and, you know, you have that little honeymoon phase <laughs> and everything's all, but then you come across an asshole or a fucking dick, you know what I mean? And, and they're saying shit, maybe you don't like. And that was a big thing that was upheld was, you know, <clears throat> as long as, you know, this person is not, you know hurting anybody or endangering anybody then you know it's kind of one of them things where you know in real life you have freedom of speech but you know if you walk up to me or come into my house and say something that i don't like you know that's you, you kind of have to be prepared for the consequences as well you know
1: exactly and also i mean i feel like if you're going to have a conversation like you know the whole process of having a conversation presenting you know presenting fad, you know, factual Uh, you know statements and then comparing them against the opinions of like the the whole process. Like I feel like once it deteriorates into just name calling, it's not accomplishing anything. So like, I understand like stopping it at that point, but to broad say like, no, we're not going to discuss this at all because we know you're not mature enough to handle it. That, that is just like you said, counterintuitive.
0: Yeah. It's ridiculous, man. I'm, I I'm I'm really not much of a social media type dude. Uh, I've never have been. My, my thing is just coming on and meeting people, talking with people, having conversations, learning new things. Um, but I will say that, um, you know, I'm mainly on DMT world, man, you know, that's, that's my thing there. So, you know, I, I support the site and uh, I'm glad it's there. I think that there's a reason why it's there. And I think that that reason is, um, as viable, you know, I've, i taken, I've taken that template and, and, you know, released it into my real world here locally. And I mean, we're, uh, we're slowly creating our own scene and our own reality here, you know, just trying to shift the perception of, of the local populace, you know? Yeah, that's awesome, man. I think, I think that's a really powerful thing to do, man. You know, I was talking to, uh, another member last night, <clears throat> and I've heard this many times before, but it, it really makes sense in this conversation where, you know, tend to the garden. What does it tend to your own garden or tend to the garden that you can reach or whatever the case? I mean, I mean, that's true. Right. I mean, I, I can sit here and we can argue about global issues, but. Me, myself, you know, I have to take care of what's right here in front of me, which is my family and then my community. And, you know, that's more powerful when you have multiple or thousands or hundreds of thousands of people doing that all at once. You know, that changes and in a global perspective, you know?
1: Absolutely. Yeah, no, I'm, I think that, uh, I mean, I think that. When people first hear the platform DMT World, they're like, oh, well, are we allowed to talk about other things or not? It's it's kind of encompassing, like, you know, the the whole mindset.
0: No, it does. I mean, it also, it also, even for me, uh, when trying to find people for the, for the podcast, I mean, it also presents obstacles. You know, people see DMT World, and they're like, oh, fuck that.
1: (laughs) right exactly.
0: <laughs> because DMT DMT is a powerful hallucinogenic <laughs> it'll uh, it'll it'll shift your your reality man i mean it's uh, it's a pretty powerful substance for sure and, and, a, and a lot of people are um I mean, I understand that the obstacles that brings, but you know, the, the <clears throat> once you get on the site, I mean, you see that it's more than just DMT, it's just space, you know, and that's a space for like-minded people. And, you know, there's no censoring or anything like that. And and it's a community.
1: Yeah, I mean, that's def- I mean people are definitely the nicest on them. I and mean, of all the different places I go, I mean, that's one of the reasons I want this switch to happen is because I'm so sick of seeing all the negativity on Facebook. <laughs> And there's some Facebook groups that I didn't even dare go into just because I heard stories. And I was like, oh.
0: Hey, but, you know, I mean, that happens sometimes. I mean, I don't I don't know. I, I really don't know what Facebook is like, but I do know what it's like to um, be on, you know, the like moderator side where you know, you get the same kind of shit happening all the time. And sometimes it gets a little bit tiring and sometimes, you know, you you may not be so nice to some people, you know, just because it's a, it's a consistent thing. You get a little bit complacent, you get a little tired of it. And, you know, <clears throat> sometimes, sometimes, you you know, it, it gets to you and, and, you know, I've been in me in, in other online communities where you see it like that and people take it like that. And right away, they're just kind of turned off by the whole thing. But I mean, I don't really see that happening so much at DMT world yet. I mean, yeah, it's still smaller community. So there's still a lot more to, to see unfold once it gets, you know, to a larger size, you know, like, like the, like the Schumery, Schumerology, Mycotopia, like all DMT Nexus, like, you know, hundreds of thousands of people. I'm sure that's going to, going to affect, you know, the whole atmosphere.
1: Yeah. I mean, that's the one, that's one of the things I never understood. You have so many, you know, so many guys that say like, you know, their primary thing is they want to help beginners and like, you know, they're here to help teach noobs how to grow in the proper way and stuff. And I mean, like, okay, so if you're doing that, you know you're going to be hit with tons of dumb questions. Yes. Like if that's going to, that's one, that's where you want to be. Like you're going to have to learn how to be nice about those dumb questions. Yes.
0: Yeah. <laughs> that's definitely something that, that patience that you have to work on for sure. <clears throat> so um is there any other like project you got going on what, what do you got going on for the future man
1: um well cordyceps are coming up next that's going to be my next main push again i kind of i made an attempt at it last year and the kratom you know summer came along and i had so much work to do with the kratom that i really just kind of fell behind on it and i went up there one day and just everything was contaminated <clears throat> but, I tore it all down, I super cleaned it, and I, you know, uh, plastic lined the filter so it could, you know, chill for a few months. And uh, I'm just now finishing up winterizing the greenhouse. I had to, I'll post pictures when I'm done, but I built this whole frame around that big greenhouse. It's like got a suspended hanging roof that can blow in the wind. And-
0: <laughs> I remember seeing some of your pictures of that greenhouse, man. That's pretty, pretty impressive, man.
1: Yeah, it's not done yet, I and mean, hopefully it works. It's it's a completely improvised design, so it's either going to be awesome or horrible.
0: Now, are but you
1: either way? It's almost done.
0: Now, are you thinking about opening shop or something like that for some of these these uh, projects you got going on? What do you mean? Yeah, like a not a storefront, but like a website or something, or some kind of. Uh, i don't know marketplace posting or something like that
1: yeah so i'm working with a couple different people on um on being able to like to send out the different genetics so like i have people i work with with the different fungal genetics and uh i have plans with the cordyceps and like i built that lab if uh if i can get the cordyceps going i'll be doing my own uh, extractions on that um and then the Kratom clones, uh, there should be a, a site launching here soon um, that I'll be able to move them through. And I'll kind of be able to send out you know, d- different genetics to people and hopefully get some more people growing Kratom. And hopefully if I can continue things moving forward, I'll eventually be able to start supplying actual Kratom product.
0: <laughs> well, man, uh, once it, once it does happen, man, um uh, i'm i'm down to support it man you know i i, I really like everything you're doing man and i, I think you're a really cool dude man and uh, I, I like your style man i I'm, i'll be glad to to support you or anybody doing anything like this man i think uh the support from each other is is very important in this community not just dmt world but the global national and global community
1: oh yeah absolutely, absolutely. Especially, especially like yeah. given you know, the, the terms under which a lot of this has to be done. I mean, you know, but like I said, by, by so many people and in so many different official terms, what you're doing is wrong or bad that, yeah, it really does help when you have other people saying like, no, you're doing the right thing. And this really is helping me or whatever, you know, that reinforcement goes a long way, yeah. uh, you know, to help keep people going. Cause I mean, the stress gets to you, man. Like yeah. all this is stressful.
0: Yeah. Including the, the ever looming feeling that you can get thrown in fucking jail for this shit. Right. That's exactly what I'm talking about. (laughs) It's so fucking backwards, man. Like, I'll tell you something when, when I was cultivating, um, my own plants for myself, um, I spoke to my children, you know, because they saw this process that I was going through, you know, they saw who I was prior to it. And they saw me changing, you know, uh, during the whole cultivation aspect and ingesting my own medicine. But I remember one time, um, having a talk to my sons and my sons are, you know, my youngest son, he's seven years old. So, you know, he can kind of understand, you know, what I'm telling him, but, you know, all my other boys are older. And <clears throat> I remember talking to them and saying like, Hey, you know, this stuff is, uh, this stuff is illegal. Like I can get put in jail for this. And they were just so fucking confused. They were completely confused. Like, why would anybody do that? You know, and this is a child, you know, seeing it for what it is, you know, when you, when you see that, man, I mean, it it may really makes you question this reality. You know, what the fuck are we really doing when we live in a world where you can go to jail for a fucking plant?
1: Right. Or, you know, when you start outlawing nature and <laughs> and promoting you know, pharmaceuticals, yeah. And the fact that so many people accept it, I mean, there's so many people that like, I mean, even today someone made a post and they were talking about microdosing dosing, helping their, uh, you know, their appetite or something. And someone had jumped in on there, you know, saying stop doing drugs. It's, it's <laughs> screwing you up more. So, and it's some like 18 year old kid who like, I mean, how the fuck do you know anything? And, yeah. And B, I mean, if you go to a doctor, they're just going to give you other drugs. I mean, <laughs> people try and deny how much, uh, how big a role drugs play in our lives. But I mean, next to food, drugs and medicine are you know, pretty up there.
0: Yeah, they are. That's why it's, it's a FDA, right? Food and <laughs> yeah. Drug Administration. They had to put those two motherfucking things under one roof.
1: But when I think of it that way, I mean, I did a lot of fucked up shit and broke law for a long time for completely selfish reasons. I did it for money and not even money because I didn't do anything with the money, but buy heroin. I did it for heroin. And if I was willing to do all that, you know, risking my freedom, how could I possibly seek redemption if I wasn't willing to risk the same thing and trying to set things right?
0: true. I mean, it it takes, it takes a brave person to, to do that, you know, and to, to recognize that I own 100% agree with you, man. Um, Listen. Uh, it's been really good having you on here. I really appreciate you taking the time out to to come on and and, and speak with me and and everybody that's listening here. Um, <clears throat> before we end this here, is there anything you would like to say to anybody listening, or or just anything in general? Anything you'd like to promote?
1: Um mostly you know just when when you when you use these these medicines you know go in there with a purpose especially the mushrooms you know when you if you have something you want to work on don't just take it and you know wait to see what happens try and go in there with something that you know you want to fix and what you want to better yourself and uh really that's the the biggest thing I hope to see you know a change in is that more people look at this as you know medicine and then a drug I mean it's you know it's fun to talk about like you know how you tripped your balls off and you know you saw mario throwing pizzas at you or whatever (laughs) But, but um it really is a medicine man and i think that it can help a lot of people and uh i i hope i get to see it
0: well said man well said um uh, if you have anything like uh, any any links or anything to any of the projects or anything you got going on, uh, we'll put it in the description. If not, we'll just uh, you know leave it be. But again, man, like I said, thank you for your time. Thank you for coming on here. It's been a, it's been a pleasure, and I and I'm glad that you're part of the, the the community there. I really am. Yeah, man, absolutely. Thanks for having me. You just do it like you breathe. Doesn't it
1: really astonish you that you are this fantastically complex thing? And that you're doing all of this and you never had any education in how to do it? Never
0: learned to are this miracle? Well, the point is that from a strictly physical, scientific standpoint, this organism is a continuous energy with everything else that's going on. And if I am my foot, I am the sun. I am the sun.